0: Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thanks for joining me here on the program. May sound a little bit different. I am uh, sitting in my backyard. And I introduced this concept on a uh, recent bonus episode where I gave my uh, half-baked feelings on abortion. Um, And I explained why I have half-baked notions on abortion. Feeling a little bit stronger now that we've done some shows and I've done some research on it. But uh, about, about where I stand on it. Um, but I'm not going to belabor that point. I will talk a little bit more about that later. That's not the point of this show. But, you know, I've been doing podcasting since 2007. And I've been doing this show for 10 years. And you got to keep it light and fun and experiment a little bit. And I am sitting in my backyard because I'm doing some porch sitting and i uh have stolen so many things from the don and mike show like the canada bit generous and thorough yes as don geronimo says if you're stealing from me you're stealing twice that is the radio creed um deeply influenced by the don and mike show and then the michael mira show podcast if you've never heard the michael mira show podcast you should go check it out big fan of them and the original formula of wall of friends sitting around and talking about issues all comes from Don and Mike, the Michael Maher Show, Bob and Tom, Howard Stern, and I wanted to adapt a political slant to that kind of guy talk, sitting around a table, busting each other's chops, uh, and that's really where I got the idea. But they, you know, it gets to a point where it's nice outside, and you want to sit outside, and you don't want to sit inside your office slash studio where it's hot because the sun's coming in the window, and you want to just sit out in the backyard and enjoy life. And so that's what I'm doing. And so Don and Mike used to pull, when they were on radio, they used to pull their chairs, their rocking chairs, out front of the studios. I mean, we're talking like 15, 20 years ago they'd do this, and it's porch setting. They'd call it porch setting. And they'd just rock in their chairs and go, yep. And it was very bad radio, intentionally. It was supposed to be funny. Uh, Hopefully this will not be bad radio to you, but that's why the sound quality is a little bit different. I'm just going to sit out here in the back and monologue a little bit and uh, talk about something I've been thinking about this week. Um, Where to begin? There's so many. I've recorded this twice already, and it just was terrible, so I'm redoing it. It didn't need to be 50 minutes, it could be 20, and I can get my thoughts out much quicker. Well, you know, I always start with the theme, and uh, what we're going to talk about on that show. And this episode's theme is the courage that it takes to have actual community with people. Um, I've mentioned in some episodes we're going to be talking a lot more about community, and the shifting direction of the show is not just... It's not that I'm not a libertarian, it's just that uh, I I would highly recommend going and watching The Whole Truth by Lauren Southern on YouTube. Lauren Southern was this... uh, uh, She calls herself part of the dissident right, Milo Yiannopoulos and Gavin McInnes and Tommy Robinson in Britain, um, which, by the way, a thousand Muslims were just arrested in a grooming ring in one British town, so... Tommy Robinson went to jail for saying that was going on. (laughs) I just like to point that out. Um, But Lauren Southern posted this video talking about all the stuff that's happened in her career as part of this dissident, right? This new movement of basically like anti-immigrant alt-right adjacent, if not outright alt-right figures um, who, uh, I, I, I mean, just like, I'm not going to fill you in. She f- does a good job of explaining it. But she talks a lot in the video about her disillusionment with her movement and starting out in her movement as a bright-eyed, naive uh, idealist who's ready to change the world with all these great opportunities and then just continually gets to uh, get, gets exploited by pe- people like Milo Yiannopoulos and Tommy Robinson, um, gets... Uh, put in all these really awkward positions with men in the movement including Paul Joseph Watson who turns out is exactly the type of guy you think he is Um, and the video is basically coming to grips with how to do her type of content not giving up on her beliefs but looking around and saying what part did I play in you know building a movement that abused a lot of people now I don't that I necessarily have a lot of those sins to t- 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 make a couple for. But I will say what I've struggled with over the last two or three years is just this idea of what is the libertarian movement. You know, coming from working for the Libertarian Party, coming from a political background, I no longer really see political action within any party as any kind of real solution. I really see it as just uh, divisive and unhelpful and unchanging anything and what i've struggled with over the last few years with this show are a few things but mainly where to drive you how do i you know you can you can do these shows explaining the problem but where do you direct that energy and any good broadcaster i think has to direct you someplace if they're gonna inform you about a topic and and you know, I'm not a newsman. I'm not Mike Wallace. I'm not even Chris Wallace, like trying to just give you the straight facts. I, I want you to do something with the stuff that we talk about here on the program. And where do I drive you? The Libertarian Party? I mean, I haven't felt like that was a real solution since 2014, 15? Uh, I just didn't really talk much about that because I didn't want to offend or hurt the feelings of so many people I like. I've just gotten to a point where I think many of you are that I can't continue to worry about the feelings of people listening. I, that doesn't mean that you get a license to be a, a jerk, but you at some point have to say what you think is true. That's what you come here to hear me talk about, which is what I think is true in this world. Um, and political solutions you know if if the libertarian party isn't going to be a reasonable vehicle then where am i going to push you the republican party (laughs) like i learned that lesson in 2008 like i left the republican party because i saw what they did to ron paul delegates i was a ron paul supporter and you know they pushed my kind out of my party i was a journalist then and I'm like, well, these guys are going to break their own rules to keep libertarianism from taking over the Republican Party. Uh, you know, Ron Paul delegates basically took over the Libertarian Party and have perverted and changed so many of the rules. Like, that's what you've got to do. You've got to be willing to go to places that are really terrible if you want to be successful in political media and politics and... Uh, and then to what end? Is there anybody in this country that really thinks that if their, their side wins and has a super majority in the Congress, the presidency, say the Republicans have the House, the Senate, the presidency, and presumably the Supreme Court, how much are they really going to get done to change the system? Um, I, don't, I don't know how much, if any, anything, that's worth. At this point, how much change can actually take place through the political system? So what is the point of continually engaging in political action and political commentary and political solutions when all it breeds is divisiveness? But where do you drive people? Um, I came to this conclusion largely through... um, You know, I've had very formative experiences over the last three years. Uh, One of them is Leaders and Legends, the podcast that I do with Robert Vane. I'm the producer, and we've gone out and interviewed the elite of Indianapolis. And if you don't know the history of the Libertarian Party of Indiana, it's one of the most uh, engaged, strongest affiliates in the entire network. There isn't a side that would disagree with that. When I was the executive director, we were at their peak. I'm not. I, I'm not going to go Alex Jones and say I'm not bragging, but the, just the numbers don't lie. You know, Brad Klofenstein had a good run in the mid 2000s. I had a good run in the mid, you know, 2010s, early 2010s. Um, and the you know the people that I'm going out and engaging with. That are the elites, the decision makers, the top politicians, the top culture makers in this town. They don't know who I am. They don't know what the libertarians do. The heads of the other two parties are asking me questions that are just foundational about the party because they just haven't studied it. Uh, and it, it just sort of like hit me at a certain point that there wasn't much impact made in those 10 years that I was really active, that the party was really successful, that we had hundreds of candidates running. And it just sort of kicks you in the balls. <laughs> um, and you go, okay, well, well then what's the solution? Um, and, and so I, I haven't had a solution and I'm, I'm still working on that somewhat. That's sort of what the future of the show is: is figuring out that that piece, that third piece. You know, understand current events and the world around you, diagnose the problems, and then the third is where are the solutions? How do I drive you to solutions? How do we come up with solutions together and highlight what you're doing? I think interviewing a lot of these nonprofits that you're starting to hear is a piece of the puzzle, because you get to hear the complexity of the problems, you get to hear the ideas of what people are working on and how they're engaging in those problems and how we can get involved in them. Um, I, I'm leaning into the civil sector, the civil side of things, that third piece. There's business, Jason Stapleton does a great job of talking about the business side of liberty. RIMSO and Brian Nichols on our network do a great job of talking about financial freedom as a piece of liberation and liberating your your own life and I totally agree with that a lot of podcasts talk about liberating you know government from you know we need to elect libertarians to office Uh, as I said I mean I've been around doing this for 20 years I'm kind of past that point in my life I've done it and I don't think it's that effective so what's left what's that third piece it's civil society, it is, you know, what is derisively known on the right as NGOs, or, you know, in the rest of the world, nonprofits. Uh, it's church groups, it's synagogue groups, it's Muslim groups, it's the International Order of Odd Fellows, it's the Masons, it's um, community groups, it's homeowners, it's neighborhood groups, it's farmer, city farmers markets that are banded together. Um, In Holland right now, many of you may know what's going on with the farmers. If you don't, you really need to look into what's happening with the farmers in Holland and the Netherlands. I think that's the same thing. Hell if I know. Uh, But in the Netherlands, the government is basically implementing a lot of these World Economic Forum UN plans uh, for climate change and starving the farmers there and they're fighting back and so what you saw with the truckers movement you're seeing with farmers now um, including the government firing on these people so uh, hold on let me take a break the neighbor just came out and I don't want him to think that I'm crazy because I'm talking to myself instead of going through the supermarkets and the farmers selling to the supermarkets there's now these giant co-ops being organized in the Netherlands to support these farmers um, outside of the existing economic order. And I really think that that is the future. That is the base message of libertarianism. It's finding solutions outside of corporate America, outside of government. Um, Yes, working with them as partners or fighting them in ways that they hurt the progress that we have defined outside of their existence but starting to really dig into what is civil society and how can we change things. But to do that, you've got to have a couple pieces. You've got to have your own house in order. You've got to clean your room. You've got to make sure that you are uh, supporting your family. I mean, the foundation of a libertarian society is a healthy individual, a healthy family and a healthy community. And, you know, we talk all the time on the podcast about serving your circle. The 100 people, right? That that example from Big Fish, as he's being carried out at the end of Big Fish, a great movie. Some say the best. Uh, as he's being carried out to the river, he's surrounded by the hundred people that were in these stories that were in his life that he made an impact on. Those are the people that you can impact. And if you don't have a hundred people in your life, you've really got to impact those people. You've or you've really got to find new people. Um. You know, so uh, I think a part of that is that you have to learn to be courageous. And you have to get out of your comfort zone and be willing to um, not be comfortable. You know, another formative experience that I've talked about is the pat-down. And, you know, I, I work with several different audiences in my different... Jobs, not only this audience here, which is largely libertarians, the audience for the Chris Spangle Show um, is around 5,000 people, to be candid, and many of you are white Christian Midwestern males, middle aged, upper, mid to upper income, well educated. Uh, surprise, you look like me. <laughs> and that is a recurring theme in many of our lives. I grew up in Plainfield, Indiana. I grew up in a place that was 98% white, 2% Muslim, and it was a, a, a hardy Republican town. It was kind of a bubble growing up in the 90s, and it was 30 minutes away from downtown, and it was very, it was kind of secluded. It was cut off from Indianapolis because the airport's in between us. and. You know, this is not a, a racist town. That's not what I mean by saying that it's very homogenized. This was the national point of the Quakers, the meeting point. Um, so there in you know, the 1800s, the Quakers would have their national convention. And it was a powerhouse of abolition sentiment. And if you look at pictures of the basketball team in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there's black basketball players on the team. It was fully integrated, which was not the norm. In Indiana, for instance, two-thirds of the state had Klan membership. No, excuse me, one-third of the state had Klan membership, and it was extremely hard to join. Um, It's starting to rain here, so I'm gonna move under the little gazebo here. Um, You know, so I come from a town that, You know really taught its students not to think about you know not to be racist, but that's like Telling That's like telling me I I can't think of a good example if you never actually like Let me actually go into the garage because this may be a little loud and distracting And I can go in there judgment free without the neighbors thinking I'm nuts oh shoot drop my water bottle all right there we go perfect it's coming here in the garage which is a disaster books magazines gardening equipment my big green egg all right cozy. Um, but if you're never actually having uncomfortable conversations with people who are liberal or black or Hispanic or, uh, you know, if you're raised... I wasn't raised in a Christian home by any stretch of the imagination. Like... My three, you know, my three-year-old stepdaughter sings "Jesus Loves Me," knows all the words. I don't even know all the words. <laughs> like, we're raising her in a different way than I was raised. Um, I didn't become a Christian until I was eighteen, but I was surrounded by a very white Christian conservative culture. You didn't do drugs. You didn't have sex. These were very scandalous things. Uh, and then you get out into the world. And meet people who go. Who gives a shit if you smoke weed? What, who cares if you suck a dick? Right? <laughs> like the. And you have to go. What? Because they're they're raised with different values than you. Um. And I just think that the 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 notion on the right. Rod Dreher wrote a book called The Benedict Option. We need to build communities to withstand the coming swallowing of the christian conservative world we're no longer a majority white christian america is at this point no longer a majority and that's why you see christian nationalism rearing its head it's the last gasp of uh, a dying ideology from the past 100 years especially from within the right um I don't believe that. I think that that's the wrong way to go. I'm I'm a classical liberal, which means you get out in the streets and you fight for what you believe, you engage with people, you learn to love people, meet people where they're at. Um, you know, I, I, when we were looking for a place to move to, part of me wanted to move back to Plainfield. And wanted to be comfortable i was doing the pat down driving to Plainfield, field feeling very nostalgic for the way that i grew up because part of the pat down is talking to miss pat who grew up in inner city atlanta never around white people was scared of white people till she had to interact with them around 30 which is only like 20 years ago right and then i am having my first experience with black culture and building an audience and I think part of the reason the We Are Libertarians Network and the Chris Spangle Show have gone a different direction than so many other libertarian podcasts is that I interact with different audiences. The Pat Down audience, which is black, a lot of white progressives in that audience too. The We Are Libertarians audience is, like I mentioned, but still very conservative. The Bob and Tom audience at the day job is very trump supporting kind of duck dynasty type people um you know and then i've got clients that i work with i do podcast consulting the leaders and legends audience is you know kind of the upper crust of indianapolis so over the last 3 or 4 years i've been interacting with a different diff, these different groups and so it's it's the old we are libertarians model was like we only see the people that are in front of us. Let's make these people laugh. And then when I got out into the world and started to see so many different people and different opinions, it made me pause and go, okay, like, how do you message from a broad perspective as opposed to only thinking about yourself and only thinking about what would drive you to join this movement? Um. And... I think that's a big reason why things are a little bit different on this network than other places is that formative experience of working with so many different people because it changes you when you have to have daily conversations defending your position from people that don't agree with you. Not to own that person to then retweet and show what a good job you did to have the other members of your caucus go, hell yeah, brother, you really owned that lib. You know, but to have like real genuine conversations, I mean, I've posted some pro-life stuff and I've gotten not nastiness in my DMs, but why do you think that way? Why do you, don't you see it this way? Don't you have understand this way? Um, So, I'm very fortunate that I have a broad audience from these different groups that I get to talk to. Um, And what I've found is that we usually come to the same conclusion. I think a great example of this was recently on the show when we talked about domestic violence. Um, I'm spacing her name, but I'm guessing that the social worker that was on the podcast, if this was billed as a libertarian podcast and we were talking about government solutions, she and I were going to be on totally different ends of the political spectrum Totally disagreeing, and we would have walked away probably frustrated. But you listen to that conversation, and we agree on a lot, almost everything. And this person, who is probably politically misaligned with me, comes on the show and gives solutions to correcting problems that I largely agree with. And that's where I think we as a country have to go. We have to find the points of uniting. and And politicians have no incentive to do this. It's why I'm so anti-Trump. It's why I'm anti Biden now. Like Biden the other day, you know, he will trip over himself to put out a statement inflaming any culture war. He will do anything with an executive order to make it look like he is satisfying liberal Twitter. But then when he puts out a statement on inflation, he's like, oh, shucks. Gee, uh, it's just Putin. I can't do much about it. You know, grain prices are rough. And I got some pushback. Like, why do you think women's health care is a culture war issue? Well, your starting point is that people are trying to take away your health care and make you hit the handmaid's tale. And my starting point and our starting point is... That we're trying to give voice to the voiceless and say murder and violence against an unborn fetus is not okay. Those are culturally two very big different starting points. Um, and we can argue from those two perspectives. I completely understand and agree and totally get the person who looks at it and, and goes, why should the state have the right to invade my bodily autonomy? It's a perfectly reasonable argument, um, uh, and I am completely understand, all right? I also have to accept, like, and you have to accept that we may never change each other's mind, and we're going to live in a world, no matter what, where there is abortion and you have that choice my job as a pro-lifer is to message to you the morality of the choice so that you can then make the choice for yourself right uh and what is that the root cause of such a choice the root cause of so many of our our humanitarian crises that happen in this country are due to a lack of economic opportunity and a lack of meaningful community. If you trace back gun violence, suicides, homelessness, uh, drug addiction, and opioid deaths, homelessness, um, why someone might choose to have an abortion? They, I mean, I talked about it in the the bonus episode on abortion. This book by Randy Alcorn, why why pro life? He talks about how. Like 60%, 70% of abortions are from people from the Christian faith that are church-going people. Well, that tells you there's a huge crisis of culture within these communities that people don't actually feel loved. The very people who are saying, I'm, uh, I'm following Christ, who is the embodiment of love, are not showing it to people. There was this horrendous status from this guy who was a, a right-wing commentator a low-tier commentator you've never heard of that said, "I've just done with my son. I've I've tried everything. He rejects my God. He rejects liberty. He rejects this country. I am done pretending to love him." Well, pretending to love him was the key phrase in that, right? Uh, so the 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 root cause of so much of this is we got to find good economic opportunity for people uh, and we've got to find ways to build meaningful community with each other. Let's start on those points where we can find agreement. Our politicians and the media do not want us to unite on those things because then that means that problems will get fixed and Nancy Pelosi can't send you an email every five minutes saying that, oh my God, they're coming to get you. We're never actually going to fix what you want. We're never going to have any power to actually do anything to get you what you want. But if you send us money, we might. Um, so, the, the reason I'm thinking about this topic is why we moved to this area, okay? Um, I told you where I came from, which was kind of this white Christian conservative town And then I moved to another white Christian conservative area of town called the Greenwood Southport, you know, kind of the same thing on the south side of Indianapolis Uh, and have been going to a boomer mega church since 2005. I love Mount Pleasant. I think it is an amazing church. They do amazing things. They just sent me a spreadsheet for volunteer opportunities and there's like 179 ways that you can volunteer in not just the local area, but in Indianapolis You know everything from sports and youth sports in the local area to math tutoring and English tutoring in lower income parts of town, babysitting at the church for parents that need to go to work but don't have anybody to watch their kids. Like it's they run the the largest uh, food and clothing ministry on the south side of town. They just do incredible work, Um, but it's it's like a hard church to kind of like build community in and connect with and I think it's part partially like an age difference thing Uh, you know so we thought about moving in that area or back to Plainfield and I'm not judging your choices so I don't want you to feel judged in this but when we thought about moving to a slab house that was built in 2003 in a subdivision where all the houses look together we just, we couldn't do it. Like, there was nothing in us that wanted to move to an area of town where you have to drive a bunch to, to to the local chain restaurant, like at the place that I lived in Southport and 65 in Indianapolis, at the Sundance Apartments. There was nothing but chain restaurants. Go Google map at Sundance Apartments. You'll see Chewy's and Texas Roadhouse and, you know, all these, and Cracker Barrel and uh, Fine, but... You know, we wanted, we upgraded to Yuppie, basically. I went from a luxury apartment on the south side to a luxury home here in Fall Creek Place, Indianapolis. Um, And I had some preconceived notions about moving to this part of town, which is about 20 blocks north. It's about a 30-minute walk north of downtown, 5, 10-minute drive of downtown. Uh, It is not a rich area. It is a gentrified area. It's about 10 years out from being gentrified. Uh, I say it's a luxury house because uh, we have air conditioning and I pay an enormous amount for rent for it. <laughs> um, and I'm sitting in a garage. Uh, we're very, very fortunate in our life. Um, so, But this is an urban area. It is the bluest district in the entire state. And I've only lived in very red districts, and I am a red person. So, to move to this part of town, after watching the news over the last couple years and kind of existing in the right-wing ecosphere, what are you told? Well, you're Christians. You're not going to be accepted there. You're going to be forced to put a pride flag on your front porch. You're, You're going to be invaded by homeless vagrants leaving needles in your back alley. Your neighbors are not going to be friendly to you because you're different and you're this is a blue area. Uh, I want to tell you like what a load of horseshit <laughs> uh, that that was for me to even think. Uh, like, uh, like it's embarrassing to say almost because it's so silly. Um, but this area of town has been the most neighborly place I've ever lived. Uh, the suburbs that I grew up in, the cul-de-sac that I grew up in, you, you didn't really know your neighbors. Like, I remember my friends kind of being parent friends with the parents of the neighborhood. There's a neighborhood pool, so you'd kind of see people, but like... It's, there's something about living in close proximity and sharing a backyard with five other people that makes you more neighborly. We have a bunch of front porches. Everybody has a front porch here and people sit on their front porch and say hi to each other as they walk their dog by, you know, like there's no backyard fences really here. Um, You can kind of silo yourself off and the, the people with back fences, we don't know them. With the people without back fences, we chit-chat with them in the alley. And of course, there's a lot of kids. So, you know, the, the stepdaughter squish, she's kind of helping us make friends and everything. Kids are the glue that kind of keep the world, <laughs> keep community together, I guess. Um, but I, you know, we also have found a different church, which doesn't really have programs. Like it's like the exact opposite of Mount Pleasant, it's called Redeemer Presbyterian. Uh, my buddy Josh Gillespie, who I think has been on the show, uh, who's a political podcaster, c- political, the Political Nomad podcast, um, he is the guy that was my... At, at, when I was College Republicans president, he was our faculty advisor. He was an adjunct, offsite super part-time professor with one class. And he was the only person willing to be the faculty advisor for the College Republicans in 2004. Um, and that's that's when I first met him. We worked on a campaign together in 2004. He ran a blog uh, and he looks like a Presbyterian goer. So, it's like everybody at this reformed church looks like Josh Gillespie, the beard, you know, uh, it plays the guitar, that sort of thing. But check out his podcast. This is also Benjamin Harrison's church, the former president. He lived down the block. And they have like no programs. They have barely any programs uh, because everybody in the church is so engaged in their community already. They already volunteer for a nonprofit or they work on a board, you know, or they're engaged in their community in some way that they kind of found that there's no point in having programs like Mount Pleasant, which like builds ministries, builds opportunities for people in Center Grove and Greenwood to come and volunteer. This church just kind of doesn't have, they don't have that. They have one program and it's called Porching. And they just encourage people to like throw little parties for their neighbors and get to know them and, and you know, build relationships with them so you can lead them to Christ because they recognize that you can't like lead someone to Christ without having an actual like friendship with them and some trust built up. Right. And we went to a book club, a book study or whatever, uh, but life together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was the German Lutheran pastor that was a really inspiring guy who stood up to the Nazis and went to a German concentration camp. And as the Russians and Americans were invading Germany and freeing the camps, they ordered Bonhoeffer killed. Uh, but he was giving a a very he he was basically giving a pro-Christian anti-state message in the 30s on the radio and it was cut midway. And you know was basically told by the nazis you can't speak publicly anymore and he was offered asylum in britain and he turned it down and spent the rest of his time going around germany meeting in secret with christians and helping build a christian opposition um, to both spiritual mental emotional physical opposition to the nazis in germany and he was eventually arrested and uh, killed in the concentration camp. And the book Life Together is basically about meaningful community. And one of the questions in the book study from the group gave us this quote. Um, so, the question that the pastor kind of wrote out, it's impossible to live in community without some measure of disappointment. When relationships don't come easily as you hoped, or when reality doesn't meet your expectations. Bonhoeffer says, only that fellowship with faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begin to be what it should be in God's sight. So, in other words, you can't have a proper Christian community without conflict, Uh, And I think that's secular, too. I don't think that it's necessarily a Christian thing. You cannot have a community or a relationship without conflict. And that's kind of uh, been driven home to me this week. You know, Trisha asked me um, some spicy questions about abortion and wanted to see, like, how pro-life am I? And I'm pretty pro-life, much more than the rest of the group, and more than the Baptist pastor, I think, maybe. (laughs) So, and they all ganged up on me. And it's been a long week of fighting about abortion with my 10, 15 closest friends, uh, who are opposed in different degrees to me. Uh, And what that has done for me is um, made my arguments better, and it's... It definitely started out alienating. You know, Trisha asked the question, said, You can message me this. You don't have to say this in front of the group if you don't want to. Um, and this is a group where we share everything with each other. I have no secrets with anybody on earth. Um, I, I just don't believe in having secrets. And I think that if you have friends and, you know, a spouse, you should have no secrets. You should live openly. I would say things on this show that I would say in real life. Um, and I don't talk about people in a way that I wouldn't say it to their face, right? I, It just takes... When you do that, it takes the psychic energy out of it. Like, like you're not worried all the time. Um, but she's like, you can DM me. And I thought, I can ignore this. Like, I don't have to give my opinion on this. That I know that they're all going to hate it. But... In that moment, I was like, they're my friends. They're not going to like... Now, they got salty and everybody was... Everybody's still a little like... I mean, there is no doubt that people don't want to speak up and have the courage to say what they think because they don't want to be alienated. You're at the dinner table with your uncle and he's being racist. And you just don't say anything because you don't want static. You don't want... It may be the wrong time, maybe inappropriate. Uh, but you never have a conversation later in private with them, because you just don't want to rock the boat. This is a very uh, this is what I've I've come to learn that this is a very white suburban thing and that, that we don't want to rock the boat. And Miss Pat has taught me to rock the boat. Have some courage. Speak your mind, right? I want to know what you really think. Don't pussyfoot around. Because people don't respect people who don't give their opinion, who just try to ameliorate all sides, try to please everybody. You don't please anybody. You don't please yourself. You're still left with anxiety. And people just don't have the same level of respect because you're not having the courage to say what you think. Um, and, you know, after a few days of kind of going back and forth and having some stressful arguments with people I care about, they see my point of view. They may not necessarily agree, but my point of view on abortion is the same as Yemen. We shouldn't be sending weapons to Yemen, and it's immoral for the United States government to be killing Yemeni children. And Yemeni children are deserving of all natural rights, and the United States government should respect those children's natural rights, and innocent civilians should not be killed. And in the same way I think that a, a fetus, a child has the same natural rights beginning as at conception. And just because they're an inconvenient life, it does not mean that they are that they, they should be given the death penalty. There's no other social ill that we give people the death penalty for other than people who commit heinous crimes. And even then, I don't believe that we should give them the death penalty. I'm trying to achieve a consistent ethic in life that uh, reduces state violence, that reduces violence between two people, and abortion in my mind is inducing and encouraging violence and, and too often people are looking at that as the first choice as opposed to how do we create new economic opportunity and how do we create better support and better community for people so, they don't have to make that choice. And now, um, th- so I look at it from the non-aggression principle and the child at conception has natural rights. I'm not coming at it from a Christian perspective. I don't believe that the Bible or my religious views should be used in any form of lawmaking. I don't even think that my personal morals in a voluntary point should be forced on you right so um i'm pretty let live like i am not going to have a gay relationship because of my personal code of ethics but i will absolutely come to your gay wedding and be your be your uh your friend right like if if you've had an abortion i love you and you're my friend and i have no judgment on you because you were in a situation where you made a choice that i wouldn't have made but at the time and in the place, I'm sure you had very reasonable um, thoughts on it, you know and I, I think that comes from loving Christ more than loving religion and trying to be a cultural Christian. I think Jesus loves a person who performs abortions. Jesus loves a person who's had abortions. Uh, Jesus loves people unconditionally, and that message os- often gets lost. Um, but if you ask me my personal morals and ethics on a situation, I'm going to give them to you, uh, and you can do with that what you wish. Uh, the reality, like I said, is you can listen to that and you can disagree with me and you can turn on this podcast and never listen to me again because you think I'm trying to control your womb. I can't control my own womb. Uh, I, <laughs> like, I, I don't know what's going on in my own body. So, uh, I'm not trying to control anybody. I'm just giving you my personal ethics on the situation. Now, this is not an opinion that I would have ever given on the show in the past because I was scared to. Um, because I was afraid that if I gave you my opinion on a divisive issue, that the person that is pro-choice might never listen to me again. Um, But I'm just at a point where I've got to have some courage to say the things that I think are true, and you've got to sort it out. And you have to understand that uh, I'm coming from a place that is steeped in love. Whether you want to accept that or not, You can listen to me and ask me questions and we can get to that place and vice versa. I don't think that people are bloodthirsty to go out and get abortions. I think it's a very difficult choice. Um, And I think the thing that unites us is where do we find points of agreement that we can change society that makes it more possible for women to feel supported when they're pregnant. Um, we talked a lot about that in the episode with Sarah Brady, where she talked about, you know, don't fly women to get abortions. Like, give them maternity leave. Like, Taco Bell should give their employees maternity leave. Uh, I don't think the state should force that, but it's the right moral thing as a, if you're giving out benefits packages to give people maternity leave. And if we want to build a culture of life then corporations and businessmen should lead the way in and, and giving maternity leave to women so we can fully support women in having healthy pregnancies and having healthy children. And if you're in a company, you should be advocating that and talking to your HR people and saying, we want this. Uh, employees have never had more of a voice than they do right now. So... uh Long story short, I think you've got to have courage to speak up and give your opinion and you've got to speak it in love and you've got to really like work on building communities and find points of agreement. Like if there were one singular message of my broadcasting career, I think that's it, is putting myself in places that I'm uncomfortable in order to find places where I agree with people that I might on the surface disagree with them. Um, And I think it's very easy to say we're all in community in the suburban way where you sort of wave at your neighbor as you walk from your car to your garage, but you don't really know their kids' names and you really have no relationship, you're just sort of friendly with each other. It's a whole different ballgame when you have to start engaging with them and having conversation with them and listen, I'm the the worst at this. Like Reagan, she will go out and meet a neighbor and within five minutes, come back. Like we were at church, she sat next to this girl, talked to her for like 10 minutes and I swore they were like best friends. I was like, when did you meet her? How did you know her? She's like, oh, I just met her right there. Like then how do you know her grandmother's name? Like, <laughs> Reagan, like, will find out somebody's credit card number and their, what they want to name their grandchildren when they're 23. Like, it, it just, it's it's insane. And I keep to myself. I like to put in my headphones and water my plants and keep my head down and not converse. Uh, I, I'm I'm just by nature not a social person. My parents. I don't think either of my parents really have friends. I don't remember them having friends. They just sort of like dad would come home from work and like you know piddle in the yard, and my mom would like watch TV. But I don't remember them like having a lot of parties like outside of family. Uh, so I just don't think I'm pr- I'm wired that way, and so I'm I'm forcing myself into situations where I'm having conversations and building relationships and expanding that hundred people in my life and focusing on serving those people and kind of living life differently um, and less selfishly than I did in the past because I've come to the conclusion that seeking political answers is the cheap and easy way out of this. That when you're advocating for A political change. You really don't want things to change. You just want to complain about it and feel like you've done something when you've done nothing. Like, the way to solve gun violence is to reach out to your weird cousin and, like, invite him over for dinner, even though it's going to be awkward and painful. It's not to, like, post that you want to steal people's guns. Like, I'm, like, the, the like, running for office and just talking in broad terms of expanding liberty for people and ending the drug war is not going to actually end the drug war. What actually matters is reaching out to the cousin that you know has a drinking problem or a drug problem and getting engaged in the messy parts of the life and inviting a little bit of chaos into your life. That is, like... That's how we're going to solve these problems, is every person listening to this does that and impresses upon the other people in their life to serve their circle of 100 people. And it becomes a tidal wave eventually of people serving other people and solving a lot of these crises. And I know that this is just as naive as thinking that you can get a libertarian elected and that's going to solve everything. Rand Paul becomes president tomorrow and gee, won't the world be better? That's a naive statement, but at least we have some power in engaging with other people. At least we can do something. But like throwing your money away, giving it to a politician so they can grandstand is bullshit and we all know it. Every single one of us knows that that's not going to do anything, but we do it because we feel that that's the only like source of power we have. And I'm not saying drop out of the political process because I truly believe that if you show up to your county council meeting, you can affect change. I truly believe that if you get to know your local officials, you can affect change. And those people get promoted and become congressmen. So the person that you were friends with for the past 10 years who was on the city council is now congressman, and they know you and know you're not crazy. You can you can affect some change, but know that that person who goes to Congress feels totally disillusioned and doesn't think that they can change anything and is trapped by a system that has them fundraising all the time instead of actually affecting people's lives. Like Chris Murphy talking about gun violence every five minutes after a mass shooting, he's he's able to get what in these new gun laws that get passed? Nibbling around the edges. But you reaching out to your weirdo cousin has probably more effect in actually stopping gun violence than Chris Murphy's law in Congress. And everybody in this audience knows that to be true. I know you know it. And even the person who's, who's new to libertarianism, you sort of just feel a little hopeless about the political process. But that's, this is the path, man. This is the path. This is the third, the third leg of the stool is get involved. And I'm not asking you to join the Libertarian Party. I'm not asking you to join the Republican Party or Democratic Party. I'm not asking you to start a PAC. I'm not asking... I mean, if you want to start a podcast, cool. Um, but what I'm, I'm inviting you to is radical. a radical notion. Get offline and get engaged. Drop out of the political process drop out of political commentating on Facebook and get into a community with uh, people that are different than you, not just like-minded people. That's, a, you know, it, it's, that's fine. Start your libertarian liberty and chill. Go for it. But there's beauty in getting to know people outside of your own space, outside of your own religion, outside of your own um, race, outside of your own ideologies. Um, I, I've grown so much from it. I love it and I can't recommend it enough. So thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for port sitting here with me and just having a chit chat. This is exactly what it would be like if you were sitting with me, you wouldn't have had a chance to talk for what I'm guessing is 50 minutes. I don't have a timer on this recorder. It's a little lav mic that I've got. Uh, you wouldn't have gotten a word in edgewise. You would have been just like... You'd be sitting here listening to me monologue. That is what it's like to uh, hang out with me, Uh, and that's why I'm quiet. You meet me in person. I'm actually people because I'm obnoxious online. People think, oh, he must just be a big personality, and I'm not. I'm very quiet in person and a little shy because I know if I start talking, I'm I'm like I'm very conscious of not controlling the conversation because if I get started, I will. And I don't want to do that. So, I don't talk too much. <laughs> um, so, but this is, this is what it'd be like if we we're actually hanging out in my backyard. Uh, I, I would just be rambling uh, and uh, venting and, and saying all kinds of things and um, looking at text messages uh, from my mom and goodness. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you uh, next time on The Chris Spangle Show.